Jack Spirko here with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas today with episode 542. It is a Monday, and that normally means that we do a show with your questions and your feedback, but we're not going to do that today. I'm going to dedicate this show today to the memory of one of my best friends in the world, a gentleman by the name of Hal Dodd, who if you've listened to this show for more than a few times, you've probably heard me mention his name because he was that close to me. Hal was a fishing guide on Joe Pool Lake. He uh, left us about a week ago, but I only found out Friday night, went to his memorial on Saturday and spoke and said a few words. Um, the man was only 41 years old, died of a heart attack. And... Uh, Today, as I was trying to put the show together, I uh, couldn't do it. I couldn't go on with a normal Monday show. I was going to do something like this for him tomorrow, and I couldn't get it off my mind. And every question I looked at, I was like, this question's not good, this question's not good. And I started thinking about it. All the, Jack, all these questions are good, or you wouldn't have put them into the queued-up folder so that you could do them on a show. Um, you just can't do this today, so it's a disservice to the audience to do anything else. So I am going to talk about Hal today, and I know most of you really don't know Hal, and you might think, is this show for you? It's definitely for you because I want my friend's life to have meant something beyond the people that knew him that were blessed by knowing him. And I'm going to talk today about the lessons we learn when we lose somebody and the lessons we learn from the life that they live before they go. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and uh, take care of our sponsors. That's about all the housekeeping that I'm going to do today. Uh, first up, we have a new sponsor today, BulkAmmo.com. These guys are awesome, man. They have incredible deals on ammo. I know that's really a big part of a lot of you guys' press, certainly a big part of mine. Check out BulkAmmo.com. You'll find their banner on the website. Remember, they'll be at the bottom of the stack, all the way to the bottom of the banner stack. That's so that next week in the rotation, they can come to the top and spend the most time at the top possible as a new sponsor. Um, but check out BulkAmmo.com. Really amazing deals. Uh, next up today... Sponsor that we've had for a long time uh, that's really a great sponsor and a good supporter of the show, MERS Radio at MERS-Radio.com. MERS Radios are a great way to incorporate your uh, your security and your uh, secondary communications together in a single unit. Uh, you get a lot more privacy than you will from uh, you know family radio frequencies and things like that, the stuff you'd buy off the store, uh, but unlicensed uh, uh, technology. So it's not like ham where you have to have a license to be able to use it. The range is limited. You get about a mile in the city, maybe two miles or more out in the flat country or where elevation's in your favor. But you can have a base station and multiple uh, motion detectors, and that allows you to know what's going on in your property, communicate with other people, and have a unit that's always on back at the house. So with that, uh, that'll wrap up today's housekeeping because that's all we're going to do for today because I I need to do this. And I know that you may be thinking, oh, is this just going to be a show that only a, a person that would know who Hal was would, would really get? And I, I don't think it's going to be. I will tell you some stories about him, and I'll tell you about his life and how I knew him so that you can understand how this impacted me because 
what I want from today is I want you to understand why we talk about the things that we talk about all the time. I want you to understand why I tell you that it's not, it's not reasonable for you to sit around and wait till you're 72 when you're going to roll your pants up and walk down the beach holding the hand of your loved one. The way the dadgone TV lies to you and tells you every day, if you watch you know, the news channels or the financial channels or whatever, and they run these ads over and over and over again, we can help you fit your magic number and whatever the other bull crap is that they lay out for you. And that's just one part of it. The lie that the, the corporations tell us if we just stick around, they're still, they don't call it the gold watch anymore, but there's still the gold watch myth. Be loyal, work hard, work your way up the ladder, stay put, everything will just be fine. One day you can retire and buy that little piece of land or do whatever it is that you want to do. America has been pushed into a conglomeration of, 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 of real dreams and absolute nonsense. They've taken the two worlds and they've merged them together where we can't tell where one separates from the other again. And every day that I get on the air, I try to tell you, look, if you can prepare for disaster, if you can prepare for emergencies, if you can prepare for something horrific, like a major nationwide disaster or something as horrific as just the loss of a loved one, if you can prepare for those things, if you can set up your life with independence and liberty, if you can set up your life with your own way, with your own choice, if you can do those things now, do them now. If it takes you five years, then it takes five years. If it takes ten, it takes ten. But ten is a lot shorter than fifty. And you may not have fifty. And as, as much as I try to make that a reality for you guys, and as much as I try to say, look, the, the liberty and the independence that we're seeking... It's not about political liberty and political independence. It's personal. It applies to us so relevantly because we don't know what our future is. As much as I try to drive that point home, this Friday night it was driven home for me. I was out with my wife like we usually do on Fridays, and we were at um, an on-the-border restaurant my son works at, um, hanging out with some friends, a couple people we had just met there. We were happy. We each had a margarita, split a plate of food. Um, we are just having a good time. We were getting ready to leave. I got a text message. It came to me from uh, Hal's wife. And it said, Jack, would you please consider speaking at Hal's memorial tomorrow? It could just be a few words or even something funny. I understand if you can't, but I think it would be good, nice if you could. And I looked at that text message and... That can only mean one thing. You don't have memorials for people that are still here. But you see, because we're all on Facebook, JoJo, that's Hal's wife, had assumed that I knew that Hal had passed on. And I did not. Um, she hadn't posted about it, and nobody had posted anything on, you know, she hadn't posted on his behalf, on his page, about what had happened. It was just that people had found out and started telling each other and friends telling friends. And as close as Hal and I were, we didn't really have a lot of mutual friends. We had some people that we, we both knew, but I'm very limited as, if you guys have listened to the show, no one who, if I really call you a friend, it is not what America calls friendship. It is what I call friendship, which means you're my brother when I call you friend. When I call you friend, that's not just that we'll shake hands and we say, hey, how you doing when we meet? That's my acquaintances. I didn't have a lot of people that, that I knew how by that I felt the same way about. And um, so no one had told me. 
And I guess because people knew that I was close to him, everybody thought I knew. So there I sat, and my wife was just a wreck, and I went outside because it was noisy in the place and started looking stuff up on, on his, one of his favorite forums where I knew they'd talk about him on Facebook. And I just wanted to find that it wasn't true, that it was somehow mistaken, that that's just not what happened, but it had happened about seven days ago, actually. And, uh, you know, as I sat there and I, I thought and I tried to call his wife and I, she wasn't available and I didn't get to talk to her till the next day. I just thought that this is a cruel twist of fate, but what really, really hurt more than the loss of my friend was to think of her and their, uh, their daughter Callie alone. And Hal was like me in many ways, uh. He even met his wife at the same place that I did just a few years after I'd, I'd met my wife. We were about five years before them in their marriage. And um, his daughter is right about five years younger than my son, which means that when he married and took a stepchild into his, into his heart, um, he was right about the same age that my son was when, when, when we married. So I was, uh, I was kind of Hal's buddy in a lot of ways. And one of the ways I was his buddy was we would talk about the – the trials of being a stepfather and how it's got so many things in it that make it maybe in some ways more rewarding than being a birth father. Not to put anybody else down or anything, but when you're a stepfather, you choose it. I mean, you can choose to create a child, but you get what you get. When you choose to be a stepfather, you choose 100%. And one of the things I said at his memorial uh, was that I know as a fellow stepfather that that's, uh, that's something special that a, a man can do is to, is to take a, a wife that already comes with a child and know that you're making that choice jointly. And when you do that, you know you're doing it. So I thought of them, and my wife was a wreck, and she's like, we have to call JoJo. And when she didn't answer the phone, she said, we have to go over there. And I said, we can't go over there. She's been dealing with this for seven days. You're in immediate shock. Those two places are not compatible with each other. So we went to the memorial and I spoke. And I told some stories about how I'll tell you a few of them here. And hopefully it'll help frame the lessons that I'm going to try to leave you with today. One of the things I said is that when I got the message, there were people around me that I thought might have known them because he had come into the same place several times as a customer. He had, he'd had drinks at the same bar. And, and, and I was talking to my, my buddy Tyler, who's uh, one of the guys that we did the martial arts DVDs with, real big uh, former football player. And uh, he said, well, what do you look like? And the first words out of my mouth were Texan. He looked like a Texan. And that might not sound like much of a description, but if you, uh, and I'll put a video of a tribute to Hal, uh, that some friends did along with a video of he and I fishing together in today's show notes. When you look at Hal, you'll see what I mean. He's Texan to the core. And, uh, what I said was, I think if we, if we wanted to do a public relations campaign about, about what it meant to be a Texan and bring people to this state and show somebody that lived the life from the day he was born till the day he died, it would have been Hal Dodd. That's just the kind of guy he was. He was an entertainer. The guy could play music. I guarantee you, if he would have really tried, he could have had a music career. He definitely could have had a stand-up career, and he certainly could have combined the two. He was an incredible salesman. That was something that, that he and I shared. This guy was such a good salesman, folks, that when I met him in the early 2000s, I met him around 2004 when I hired him as a fishing guide. Um, in 2004, he was an account representative for MCI, and he sold pagers successfully. 
selling pagers successfully in 2004 would be like selling black and white TVs successfully in 1990. It just doesn't really even make sense that someone could do that successfully, but he did it. And uh, so he could have he could have been a top level corporate guy traveling the world. He could have been anything he wanted to be. And that begins my lesson on who you should be. How was what he wanted to be? He was absolutely what he wanted to be. He was a father. And he was a husband. And that's what he did first. And he absolutely adored his wife and his stepdaughter. And that's about as good as anybody can do. That is that is the ultimate achievement in my eyes for a man, to be a good father and to be a good husband. He was also a friend to everybody. I have so few real friends. If I call you friend again, it's such a special thing for me. Hal felt the same way, but he felt that way about everybody, and he helped me learn to be a better friend. That's a pretty big accomplishment. But at 41... And in really pretty good shape. He had high blood pressure, but pretty good shape. And he's a moderate drinker and a moderate smoker, but 41. He kept himself in shape. He, he jogged. and In fact, he had just come home from a jog. And uh, called his wife and said, hey, I feel great. He had been having some chest pains. He just had a full medical workup. And they said, there's nothing. They did a stress test, the EKG. So there's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. You're good. Keep taking your medication, and other than that, you're good to go. Don't worry about it. He went out and ran, called his wife, said, I feel great, man. I don't have any pain. I don't have any discomfort. I feel wonderful. She says, great, I love you. Hung up the phone, and sometime real quick after that, he must have died. Because when she came home, she found him lying on the floor, gone, still wearing his running clothes. I can't imagine what that was like for her. But I can tell you what it tells me. We can't take tomorrow for granted. Ever. Under any circumstances at all in the things that really matter. On this show we talk constantly about preparing for a future. One that could be really good or one that could be really bad. But either way, preparing for a future. In fact, I just did a show recently, you know. Save, prep, or have fun. It seems like a, a lot of that was foreshadowing to, to this event coming into uh, to my life and affecting the lives of so many people that, uh, that knew this man. This man was, folks, I know you don't really know him, but you do. You do know him because as someone that was so close to me, as someone that I spent so much time with, as someone that just less than a month ago I sat in his backyard looking at his new pool, talking about his future and, and our future and us moving to Arkansas and what that was like. and A guy that that I was so close to, but I never knew how much he actually respected and admired me, so much so that his father told me at his memorial that, and I don't even know how to take this, I was his idol. That he looked at what I had done and, and thought, that's what I want to do someday. I want to free myself that same way. And years of conversations, many of the things you've heard me say, many of the things I've told you about fishing and the outdoors, many of the things I've told you about navigation and GPSs, they come from Hal. He was one of my sources of knowledge, 
thought, inspiration. So to think that you haven't lost a person just because you didn't know him is, is false because he won't be there for me to call and confer with in the future. He won't be there for me to pick up my phone and do what I always did. I'd ring him and go, hey, this is Hal Dodd. And I'd go, hey, wild man, what's up? That won't happen anymore. And it means something to you beyond what it means to me or what it means for the show or what it means for for you, even if you did know him. It means it's time to take stock in your life and realize how important life really is and start making some plans for yourself and start making some plans for those that may be here without you. So let me share with you going forward some of the lessons that Hal taught me by what he did and what he said. One of the things he taught me is if you wanted something, if you really, really wanted something, and I mean a material object, you just wanted a motorcycle, or you wanted a four-wheeler, you wanted a guitar, or whatever it was, that you could get it. You didn't have to be rich, you didn't have to be wealthy, you just had to be smart. With some trading, with some bartering, with some, some little bit of creativity on eBay, with contacting some people that were selling it that weren't having success, no matter what it was, whatever he wanted, he got it. He also taught me that a lot of times things that you really wanted, you didn't really want. You just thought you wanted them because there wasn't a guy I knew that bought some kind of new piece of junk all the time, you know, a go-kart or something like that, and would go, after a month or two, I've played with it and I don't really want it. And you know what he would do? He'd sell it or trade it and he'd get as much as he paid for for it. He'd be like, I just rented it for 60 days for free. And in the time I spent figuring out how to get it, I could have spent wasting it watching mindless crap or something, but I was able to use my talent to get that into my life for long enough to enjoy it, and I didn't throw it into a junk heap somewhere. I just passed it on to somebody else that wants to use it. Now, there's a lot of lessons there for America and a lot of lessons there for the prepper in us all. There's times to be, you know, have fun, to screw off, to play. It doesn't have to mean that we invest, you know, a significant portion of our life savings and never recover it. Hal taught me that. He taught me it was doable because I'd go over to his house. He'd look what I bought. And I'm like, what the hell are you going to do with that? Oh, look, it does this or that or whatever. And like three weeks later, I'd be like, what did you do now? I got this. Well, what happened to that other thing? Oh, I traded it or I sold it or whatever. And he always seemed to come out just not a lot because he was too honest to come out ahead a lot. He'd come out just a little bit ahead in the deal, or at least even. And as long as he could do that, he could keep doing the things he wanted to do without it taking away from his plans for his future. That was really, really awesome. He also taught me a lot about fishing, a lot, because he was a master of what he did on the lake. He taught me how to read a graph. He taught me how to understand the way fish moved and the way fish thought. He taught me that certain species, like white bass, didn't think like a fish. They thought like a collective. And because I understood that, I realized that these these fish were not like the fish I had pursued the, uh, up north, the trout and the pike that were isolationists, that would maybe school up in little schools once in a while, but basically sought out little pockets. These were fish, fish that moved like a wolf pack. And if I could understand and time their movements to the seasons and the changes and the pressure changes, then I could always find the collect collective. And if I could find that wolf pack, then I could always put food in my freezer. 
that every time I went out to that lake, there was never an excuse for not finding those fish. They were there, and they were together, and they were going to eat something, and you just needed to know what they wanted to eat, how to present it to them, and where they were. And because of that, I was able to take a $400 John boat that I did a little bit of modification to, and I could go out to that lake 10 minutes from my house, and any time I wanted to, I could come home with pounds and pounds and pounds of fish. Because he taught me to think differently than I was accustomed to. You take me to a trout stream, you know, or, or a river like the Susquehanna with bass in it or something like that. Man, I've known the way to fish those places in small ponds and all forever. But by learning the way that the species reacted in a vast, you know, 20,000 acre lake, I was able to, to, to take that skill and apply it to something new because of how. And I've shared a lot of that knowledge here with you guys. Another thing I learned from Hal was that when life knocks you back, you just don't even care. If you don't care, it didn't really happen. I remember when he lost his job selling pagers. And he was like, I'll just get a new job. you know. And the economy wasn't really bad back then. It wasn't really good either. But I remember when he, when he said, he said, well, I got, I, I, you know, I guess I should have seen this coming. I said, well, yeah, you should have. And he said, well, what do you mean? I was doing a good job. I said, you're some pagers, fool. What's, what's, I said, I don't even know anybody that owns a pager. You know, at the time, and I was still in corporate sales at the time when this happened myself. I said, I, don't, I, I work with, you know, literally a thousand contacts. I have, you know, a, a database and all these people I call on and they have office numbers. Some of them might even have their home numbers and I have cell numbers. I don't even have a single person's pager number in my database of over a thousand direct contacts. How the hell could you have done this for so long? He said, I never really thought about it. See, that attitude of, you know, whatever it is that I need to do, I'm just going to get done. And a positive viewpoint of that. That is the most contagious thing in the world. That's why people gravitated to the guy. It wasn't just because he would be friendly to you. It wasn't just because he was entertaining and he was a nice guy. It was because of that attitude. That was really the magic. And that's magic in your own life if you can make it happen. So many Americans live with their heads so far up their ass today that when I see them, I just want to kick it and make it go further up there and just say, stay in there. You deserve to be in there the way you're acting. Fortunately, Hal taught me a little bit of temperance. Once in a while, you need to kind of yank on the shoulders and pull the person out instead of kicking them further in, that they're worthy of that. But we do. We live with this, oh, I lost my job. What am I going to do? He lost his job. I don't care. I'll find another job. You know? And you know what he did? He, he was a part-time fishing guide who became a full-time guide until he found a new job. And then he went back to being a part-time guide. He just created another opportunity, and that was... Another thing that I learned, and that's something that we need to always keep in mind in our community. When an opportunity closes, you just create a new one. That is the essence of being a survivalist. See, how was the survivalist and didn't know it? When I started doing this show, he thought I was crazy. When I became successful, well, he was interested, but he still thought I was absolutely crazy. You know? He didn't see himself as a prepper or a survivalist. But he was, because he had the major attribute that's necessary. Opportunity closes. I just, it's not out when a lot, you know, people say this, 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 you know, feel good crap like when, when one door closes, another door opens. Not unless you kick the freaking door down. 
That's how another door opens. When one slams in your face and it deadbolts and it locks, it's one big old oak English doors, and you, there's not even a sliver of light comes through it anymore. There's no doorbell, there's no knock, there ain't even a door handle. It locks from the inside and you can't get in, and when you knock, no one shows up. Well, you have to go find another door, and you have to at least start out by ringing the bell and knocking on it. And sometimes it'll open. And sooner or later, you've gone to enough doors, you've rang enough bells, you've knocked enough times, you've looked at, tried to look in the little hole, you've looked around to see if there's anybody there, and sooner or later you say, okay, the hell with this, and you kick the door in, and you go through. I'll tell you how Hal did that when he got his next job that he was going to get. He interviewed with a company called Paychex, which is where he worked until uh, until he passed away recently. He was still there. And uh, on his first interview, he didn't get the job. And I just learned this from his his boss, told the story at his memorial. So a few weeks after he had interviewed for the job, um, he gets a phone call from a recruiter. I got this great opportunity for you. Hal's like, tell me about it, you know. All this and the benefits and here's how much money you can make long term and you know you get here's your you know all the things that, that came with the job. He goes, Great, who's it for? And the guy said it's for a company called Paychecks. You know what Hal said? Man, I never heard of them. Get me in. So he walks back in, there's the same people he interviewed with last time. And they're just like, What are you doing here? And he sits down and says, Okay, tell me why I didn't get the job the first time. And they questioned how much passion he would put into the job. And I think probably because they knew he was a guide. And they wondered if he would split his loyalties. And he said, if you want someone to do this job, I'll get it done. And they offered him the job. How many of you, if you were trying to find a job, and you were interviewed and told no, two weeks later would walk right back in front of the same people and say, tell me why I didn't get the job. And then say, you're wrong. Whatever that answer is, you're wrong. And then expect, expect that they would turn around and go, yeah, you know, maybe we were wrong. Oh, we're sorry. Because that's what happened. You can't make, this is, this is why I love the guy. Nothing this guy did you can make up. Adapt, improvise, overcome. Credo of the survivalist. About a year ago, one of the competing companies that he, he he competed against brought in a new account executive that was in his territory. A young lady, attractive, aggressive, very, very good, very, work, very, very hardworking, um, wasn't doing anything that was... Uh, on the on the bad side of things, wasn't low, like lowballing deals or or hurting the market or anything. She was just, in some ways, kicking his ass for him, and she was doing really really good, and because she was good. So instead of trying to find a way to uh, to counteract her and maybe do something nefarious or malicious, he invited her to lunch. He sat down with her and he discussed the opportunity at his company with her. And when she said, why are you doing this? He says, I want you to hell out of my territory, and I want you on our side. And he recruited her to go to work for his company and got her out of his territory so she wouldn't be in the way anymore. He turned a adversary into an ally. See, there's so much we can learn if we'll branch out outside our community and look how people are successful anywhere. As survivalists, our goal is success. It's not success the way that 
someone else defines it. It's success for ourselves. And, and your success and my success may look entirely different from each other, and that's okay, and they should. Unless we think completely alike, unless we are just like almost clones of each other by some freak of nature, our successes should be remarkably different. We should define them for ourselves, but that doesn't mean that I can't look to your success and see how you got there and adapt that to my life, or you can't do that with me, or we can't both do that with Hal. How many times have you come up against someone that was an adversary, and your reaction to that adversarial confrontation was to go head-to-head? I'm a warrior, I'm going to fight. I'll tell you what, Hal would have never backed down from a fight if he had a fight in front of him. But there wasn't a fight there. It was just a reality. And instead of causing it to be a confrontation, he looked for an alternative solution and implemented it. How many of us can learn from that? How many of us could make that part of our life and what we do every day? How many of us could make that part of our preps? How much does that teach us about how to deal with our partners, our real partners, our spouses? You know, I get emails from people all the time. My wife, not quite on board with this. My husband's not quite on board with this. What are they on board with? Are you on board with what they're on board with? Now, unless it's spending your household into oblivion, if you want, you know, that's the one thing you got to just look. That's not, that's not, if it's harmful to the family today and to our future tomorrow, we can't do it. We can't continence it. So if your spouse is on board with racking up a new thousand dollars worth of balance on the MasterCard every month, y'all have to have the Come to Jesus meeting and sit down and fix that. But when it's something that's just different, and it doesn't really harm anything, and it's important to them, if you want them on board, you have to be on board. And you have to find the commonalities. That was something I learned and had reinforced often from Hal by watching the way that he handled things. There's, there's no more cutthroat business in the world than a fishing guide business. Every guide thinks the next guide stole his spot, stole his client, learned everything he knew from him. You know, I've, I've heard stories of guides that go behind other guides while they're fishing with a client and they let the air out of the tires on their trailer or their vehicle or both. Or I've heard them being, the tires being cut. I've heard of one guy sneaking over to another guy's house and pouring sugar in the tank of his boat. I mean, this is not a normal thing. It's not like it happens all the time. It's not like guys, if you're a guy and you're here and you're saying, man, he's just slamming guys. No, no. Most guys are good people, but there is that element in the guy industry. And if you're a guy, you've come across it. If nothing else, you've come across the animosity. Not how. He was everybody's friend and everybody loved him. You know? I mean, he really was. If you threw something at him and it was harsh, he just just deflected it in such a way that you're like, oh, I can't be a I can't be a jerk to this guy. It's just not possible, you know. We can learn from that too. That's adaptation, guys. That really is. So, hopefully, you feel like you know how a little bit too at this point. I want to talk about your life now and, and what this needs to mean for you. One, you have to absolutely understand you may not be there tomorrow for your children and your wife or your your husband if you're a female <clears throat> and anybody else that depends on you. And, and I hate to bring this up at this point, but I have to because I feel called to. You've got to have some kind of insurance policy. You, you do. You know, you go out and you work every day so hard to, to earn money so you can come home and you can provide for that family. The minute you're gone... There's no way for you to do that anymore. And your will, your determination, everything about you won't matter if you're not there. 
If you look at your hands and your arms and your chest and your legs right now, if you look in a mirror or even your face, that isn't even you. That's the shell you occupy while you're here. If you look deep into your own eyes in the mirror, maybe you can start to see your true self. But the way is really introspection, to look in uh, from silence. If you do that, you'll begin to see what you really are, the, the humanness in you. <clears throat> That's your will, it's your determination, it's your creativity, it's your thought. Your body is like a suit, it's like a tool. It's like if you think of, it's almost like you're this tiny little creature inside a giant robot. And when you want to pick something up, You have to have the mental uh, impulses that say, hey, run this machine this way. And that's you. And when that's extinguished, or I like to call it more or less released, and you're able to go on to the other side, when that happens, the, the shell just doesn't do anything anymore. It's inanimate. It's, it's, it's a pointless construction at that point. There's, there's nothing to be done with it other than for us to memorialize it some way or to bury it or, or to cremate it or to, to bury it. It's, whatever it is, a body is just a shell. So many people become so attached to that, that, that earthly body and their loved ones when they pass on. They, 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 you know, they, they see that place that they're laid to rest is where they really are. They're not there. They're, they're everywhere at that point. They're with you. But it doesn't do any good when it comes to the nuts and bolts reality of got to pay the bills. You've got to take care of your family, folks. If you are without insurance, you are wrong. I'm sorry. You just are. You know, and I don't care how much you think you have as far as material possessions and things taken care of. You probably need some insurance. It's so daggone cheap. It's so cheap. And I'm talking especially to you younger guys and gals. You know, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s. When you're in that prime earning level of your life that's when your loss is felt the most so make sure you're taking care of that the next thing folks is please understand that the people that you care about need to know how much you care because tomorrow won't be there possibly on either side of the equation it's not just you should tell someone you love them because you love them but you know and you might be gone because they might be gone One of the biggest blessings that I heard of um, from from this tragedy was when I talked to, to Hal's wife, she said, the last thing I said to him on the phone was, I'm happy, I love you. Man, you make that the last thing you say to every person you care about when you're talking to them, in person, on the phone, anywhere. Always. Because it'll comfort you. Or if you're the one that goes on, it'll comfort them in ways you can't possibly imagine. And that's that's so important. And it's something that we have to make part of our lifestyles. I think the big thing, though, is we have to ask ourselves, does my life matter? Does it count for something? Is anybody really going to miss me when I'm gone? I know with how that was the case, the place was full. It was almost standing room only by the time we, we started the ceremony. You know, I had a military commander who was one of the best leaders that I've ever served with in you know, the business world or the military world, who one day was addressing us and he said, Men, one day, one day you're going to die. There is no way around that. You might die wearing that uniform or you might die an old man in a hospital somewhere or you just might 
have what we all hope for in one day. As an old contented man, you go to sleep and you wake up dead. But one way or another, your mortal being, whether by bullets, you know, or whether by life, one way or another, every day you live, you're a day closer to death. And when you die somewhere, they'll probably bury you in the hole in the ground. And they'll put a little stone there or a big stone there or some kind of marker. And all that stone will be your name and maybe a few words that will offer some kind of you know, comfort to those that you leave behind. But one thing that's just about on every stone is two numbers and a dash, a hyphen. The day you were born and the day you die. And in the middle of those two numbers is a hyphen. Now, that name isn't you. That's how you are identified. That stone isn't you. That's where somebody goes to remember you. That smelly corpse they put into the ground, that, then that's not you either. None of that's you. Nothing on that stone is you. There are only representations of you. Even the numbers aren't really you. That's, there's plenty of people that were born in 19-whatever and died in 2000-whatever or whatever dates it is for you. The only thing that really represents you there is that hyphen. That hyphen represents not when you came into this world or when you left it, but what you did with the time you had while you were here. And whether it be in your service now or your service later, when you're again called a civilian, unless you do something meaningful, that hyphen is all you will ever be. But if you do something great, if you do something that makes people remember you, if you do something so that when you're gone, people miss you, if you give your life so that others may live better, if everything that is in you is given freely to your fellow man, then that hyphen, that hyphen will have meaning. That hyphen will matter. And it's up to you, each and every one of you. Because you're going to have a hyphen. Because you're mortal. What will yours mean? And I don't think I got more than maybe two or three words wrong with the, with that speech from what he said. On a field in Panama in 1992 quite a long time ago and it's it's indelibly inked into my brain because it applies so much still today and I've tried to live my life that way and I suggest that you do too because there's no telling one day when you just fall over or you get bad news from a doctor or you're hit by a truck don't believe the false promise if you end up 75 in great shape with a suntan with your wife of 50 years hand in hand walking down the beach to music as the sun sets, so be it and great. But don't bet on it. Life is short. Even at a hundred years, it's actually short. If you live to be a hundred and you're 50, you've lived half of it. If you're 25, you've lived a quarter of it. 
And most of us don't make a hundred. That shouldn't sadden you. That it should embolden you. It should inspire you. It should make you say, damn it, I will have my life my way on my terms now. If someone doesn't like me, I don't care. If somebody doesn't appreciate my choice, I don't care. I'm not living my life for them. I'm living it for myself and those I honestly care about. Everything else will take care of itself. Like attracts life like in this world. Folks, if you really want to understand how I think, get a book called Illusions. Confessions of a Reluctant Messiah by a guy by the name of Richard Bach. Read that book. And then go back and read the book that preceded it, but read it second. A book that Bach also wrote called Jonathan Livingston Siegel. But read, read Illusions first if you've never, never, never read either one. That's the way I want to live my life. That's the way I try to live my life. You know, my wife comes home from work now, and she's like, I don't want to be there anymore. I just don't want to be there anymore. I'm like, we're moving. And you've, you've held off on this so long, but now you've got the point. You don't, and you haven't wanted to be there for two years. Stop being there. Stop doing this. We don't have to anymore. Those words apply to every single person out there listening to me today. You don't have to live the way... They tell you to. We wrote a song about it. I meant it when we put those words down. Everything that you want is within your grasp. There are sacrifices. And sometimes we run the race. We try so hard. And we don't wait to be 75. We run the race and say, I'll do it by 45. Sometimes it doesn't. we don't get there. Some people come into this world and they're not here for hardly a minute. There are people that are literally born and die that quickly. There are some that live to be four and five years old and it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. And when a man at 41 who runs and takes care of himself and loves his family and is full of energy and full of life and every time you talk to him he's happy... When he's just taken away, it doesn't make sense. But you probably know people like that in your life that are that way. They're everybody's friend. They just feel like they'll always be there. Make sure you spend as much time with them as you can because this is the only way I can make sense of it. I think there's times when there are people in this world who are such a light. They're so warm. They're so unbelievably beautiful as people that they cannot stay with us for our entire journey. We don't get the honor of leaving them behind. They have other things to do and other places to go and other things to accomplish that they cannot do bound in a body on this planet. And it is time for them to go do those things elsewhere. And to be part of our lives, sometimes in a way bigger than they could be if they were still here. The uh, the pastor at the uh, ceremony said that he 
feels that the stories about how the fish stories especially will get bigger with time, and that's probably the way that he would have wanted it. And I think he's right. I think they will. And I think there's people in all of our lives that have passed on like that, that the memories seem to grow a little bit over time. The only way it makes sense is that their leaving in the long run has a greater force of good than them being here. And I can't tell you that I understand that. It doesn't make any sense to me. It just doesn't. When I think of my buddy and how much he had left to do, it doesn't make that 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 the explanation that I just gave you doesn't make any damn sense in the world. But in my heart I know that that's the way it really works. I can't even tell you why I know that's the way that it really works. I just know that it does. That there are people that it's just, they're too, they're too good to be here for too long. And they have other things to do. But until you get, you know, the, 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 the message that that is your time, you have living to do here. And how do you know? If you're alive, you're still in the game. Whether you're struggling to stay alive or whether you feel great, either way, you're still in the game. And you gotta live that life, man. You gotta live it. This is why I've been saying to you since day one, living a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. This is why I've been saying to you from day one, just shed the debt. Get rid of it. Don't be burdened by it. Don't be burdened by it. And I don't care if you have a $50,000 worth of debt laying there and $400 million worth of life insurance. You're like, well, I'm not going to leave my family with the debt. It's going to pull you down through your best years. You're going to run the best race of your life from 20 to 50 dragging a steel ball. Don't do that. Don't cheat yourself and don't cheat those around you. Shed the debt. Get rid of it. It doesn't belong in your life. Plan for hard times. Stock that pantry. Save that money. Enjoy life, you know, but be smart about it the way Al was. But be prepared so that when bad times come, that you can hand, not just survive them, the hell with that, so that you can thrive through them. Let's think about it this way. You're walking along in your life, you're happy, you're 35 years old, some catastrophe, whether it's global, national, or you. Some catastrophe comes into your life. Slam! It's there. It's real. You can't make it go away. You're prepared, and it takes you to 40 before five years of your life until you really come out the other side of it. Those five years can be rich and meaningful, or they can be a struggle 100% of the way. The choice of how you live today will impact the way you live through those five years, or ten years, or one year, or one day. But if you don't prepare, if you don't have a plan for what you'll do, if everything that's hunky-dory goes away, then life will kick you in the face and steal the best part of those five years, and you will never get them back. This is why I do this show every day. This is why I get on the air and I plead with you. Don't wait for the golden promises. Because the golden promises are lies. Don't believe 
that just by adhering to what the system wants from you, you'll get what you want. The system will get what it wants. It will, like a vampire, suck the life blood from your essence. But if you choose to set up your own system, to declare your own independence, then they can only take as much as you're willing to give. And when you are willingly giving, you're getting something back. And you can build a life that matters. And you can build a life where when you're gone, people will miss you. Where your hyphen will actually have meaning. I know I'm a little short today, but it's all I've got in me. I know this wasn't the typical show. I know that I didn't tell you, here's ten things you can do to make so-and-so happen today. I know I talked a lot about my personal life today. And I hope that it's taught you something. And I hope that it's brought something meaningful to you. And I hope you understand what I've been trying to say to you for two and a half, almost three years now that I've been pouring my heart out doing this show. Everything in your life is there because you've drawn it there in some way. And some things just show up. We didn't even draw them, they just showed up. Sometimes it's like poker. We get the hand that we're dealt. But if we play the hand the way my buddy Hal would have played the hand, every hand can come up a winner. It's our choice. And anything and anyone that tells you that that's not the case. Anybody that lets you for one minute assign yourself to be a victim. Anybody that lets you, lets you for a second tell yourself, oh, I, I can't, I can't get past this. I need, I need help to get past this one. There's no way I can do this alone. This is just, it's a tough break of life. Are lying to you. Maybe not maliciously, but they're lying to you nonetheless. You can do Anything you want. Our nation bought into the false promise of yes we can. Because they've been tricked and they've forgotten the meaning of yes I can. And if you think it's selfish to say yes I can versus yes we can, it is not. It is the most selfless thing that you can do. Because what we can do takes part of the responsibility and assigns it to others. What you can do leaves you with the responsibility to care for others, to do for others, to sacrifice for others, to sacrifice even for yourself. This is what I've been saying. And I hope today You know, as you think about the people in your life that you would really hate to leave behind and the people in your life that you would really hate to lose, I hope you think about living past that point. Either you being the one doing the living or they're doing the one the living. And what would life be like in that aftermath? And as hard as it is to do, prepare for that as well. Don't expect it. Don't dwell on it. But be prepared for it. Because realize there are people... There's people out there that you care about that you will not outlive. They'll be left without you. And there's people out there that you care about 
that will not outlive you and you will be left without them. It is a guaranteed disaster. Multiple times in your life, you are guaranteed to have the disaster of losing someone you care about and who you depend on. And you're guaranteed to be that disaster at some point in your life. But how you live, how you fill the meaning, and that hyphen that they'll put on a stone or a plaque or in a journal or just in a newspaper or on an internet memorial board someday, that hyphen can mean something. In the case of Hal Dodd, it meant an awful lot. So I'm closing with a different song today. It's when I watched his memorial video that I'll give you a link to on YouTube. It's it's something I thought of, and it's how I'd like to remember him. So do me a favor. Do me a favor today. Make sure you're prepared for this eventuality, both sides of it, to be the one leaving and to be the one losing someone who's got to leave. Mentally, emotionally, and logistically for the future. And remember one thing above all else. When it comes down to it, every bit of this is up to you. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life when times get tough, or even if they don't. Every once in a while. That's why we call them heroes. That's why we know their names. And once you've heard their stories, you're never quite the same.